Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. It is the most dangerous moment in European uh, security for a generation. People around the world, and especially in Europe, are now afraid of a full-on war. Uh, what do you think of that fear, and uh, how far away are we? Well, there is a real risk. Jen Stoltenberg and NATO saying it's the most dangerous moment in a generation. I would say so. Yikes. Where will Putin stop? What will the neighbors do? How much unrest will this cause? Uh, let's bring in Mike Lyons to join the conversation. Mike, a military analyst for a number of networks and publications, a veteran of the armed service of the United States. Mike, how are you, sir? Hey, guys. Great to be back with you. Where are we on this at this point? Yeah, we're at uh, you know eleven fifty nine fifty nine now from a from a time perspective. Thinking now, Ukraine has mobilized their reserves. The economic impact is going to be tremendous for the next couple of weeks. The country will shut down basically as they try to recall, I guess, about thirty five thousand uh, troops um, or or former soldiers for from reserve duty as well as. Uh, mobilizing their, you know, in, in excess of about 150,000 active duty troops. So it, it's from, they're going to start getting in foxholes now. You look at the the videos that have come back from the areas that the, the Russians have occupied. What I can't get over is the trench warfare, is the fact that they've, um, the, the Russian uh, or the, the Ukrainians have, have built these trenches down mm-hmm. there. It's almost like they want to fight World War One again. Um, there, it's like you know you're watching that movie 1917. You see all these reporters in these trenches. No one's kind of talking about that. It's like how, how did you know what? Why did you do that for? What was the result of doing that? But um, well, does that strike you as a as a good idea? Or are you you saying you're interested because you're wondering what kind of strategy is that? Yeah, what kind of strategy is that? I mean, the kind of weapons we have today, you know, where you know warfare has evolved a lot in the last 100 years. Uh, you know, that that kind of might have worked when the machine gun was just first coming on on board. But you know, given the deep weapon capability that the Russians have, they're just going to you know kind of blow right by those things and and uh, and you know kind of go on to the next thing. The, it, it, the, it looks like you know trying to figure out why they put troops so so many troops in Belarus, and I, I think I've kind of got the answer now. So there's a river, it's called the Dnepr River, that cuts Ukraine pretty much in half. It goes right through Kiev, and it goes right down to the bottom, uh, into the Black Sea. And, and it's clear now that the amount of troops they have both on, on one side of that river to the, to the east, and then also in Belarus to the north, um, that would be a significant obstacle if they tried to take the whole country just from, just from the east itself. So you look at that and say that's probably why those troops there are coming in from Belarus to the north. They're going to be already on that other side of the river and, and form that kind of pincer movement that'll, that'll surround Kiev if, if and when they decide to go. And those of us who grew up with the Soviet Union during the Cold War, it's, it's wild to see Belarus turned into an armed Russian camp. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, I, I'm sure you heard at least parts of the odd, rambling, reinventing history Putin addressed the other day. Did you get a sense of 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 what he's aiming for? What what his motivation is from that, or do you think it was just BS? No, yeah, I think he's now recognizing he's gone so far, and he's you know talking himself into this, regardless of what the intel is saying. Um, you know, and he's he's also recognizing that he's got to maintain control of momentum and initiative in any kind of fight here. And I think that um, so I think that that's really the calculus he's going through right now. And we put some sanctions on 
to the south, and we're going to, you know, right, at all we can do right now is try to support a Ukraine insurgency, and there's there's very limited things we could do from from a military perspective. It's going to be American soft power and allied soft power the rest of the way, but um, but I think that um, he, he's really not just talking himself into it, figuring out when he goes and and how he's going to have to create this overwhelming force. He wants this if if and when he decides to unleash this conventional force. He wants it to be over in you know 100 hours like happened 31 years ago in Desert Storm. I was watching one of the evening newscasts last night, and they were with um, some of our uh, airborne rangers that were training with Polish troops mm-hmm. r- in Poland just miles from the border of Ukraine. I mean, that's that's pretty close for, uh, for U.S. troops to be. Do you think there's any chance we get pulled into this? No, I don't think so. I think he's going to be very cognizant of that that border and uh, recognizing what Article Five would bring. You know that that would be a bridge too far from his perspective. And I think it's great that we're showing that deterrence and that that we're working with our allies there. The Poles have a tremendous military. They've built it up over the past ten or fifteen years, unlike the Germans, who would be fundamentally no help on the battlefield right now. So I, I, it's 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 going to work when they need to put up. You know, refugee camps and all the kind of non-combatant things that are going to take place. I think on that Polish border, um, and of course, we send the 82nd. There's none better. I mean, we send they can they could be anywhere in the world in 18 hours, and that's you know that's what they're doing right now. I got a question that's as much a philosophical question as a military question, I suppose, because all this is a theory to me. You're you're um, like my brother, actually a warrior who's fought for your country. Does it make sense to you? That the Ukrainians, uh, many people that I've seen interviewed, including a former heavyweight champion, a boxer, now mayor of Kiev, Klitschko, last night saying, you know, I've been out of the military for a long time, but I'm going to grab my rifle and fight for my country. Does that make sense to you from a strategic slash patriotism standpoint? Or as the old phrase, live to fight another day, make more sense in the face of overwhelming force if Russia rolls in? That's a great question. I think it depends on who you are, if what you've experienced, where you are in life. You know, if you're if you're you know late in life in sixties, and this is kind of it. Maybe that's what you try to do, and you try to to be to be you know a, a bump in the battlefield, so to speak, and and, and do something there. I, I think you've got to have enough leadership that recognizes that you have to be able to do both and live to fight another day there. Um, I, I always said that um, you know it's a lot to do with the culture of the of the country. I remember being in Iraq um, fighting against the Iraqis, and I remember them just retreating. I remember coming upon complete um, units that had literally had food and mermite cans, and they just literally ran away from us. And I just was saying to myself, you know, a U.S. Army infantry platoon, a U.S. Army Girl Scout platoon would fight and die to the last person if we were on our country. So I think maybe some Ukrainians feel that way. They're on their they're on their turf right now so they're going to fight and dive for whatever it takes but then let's hope that uh, we do reserve some for another day bring bring some people back when the time comes mike lyons military analyst on the line mike uh i can't envision a scenario other than we're simply redrawing the maps of europe at this point at least in terms of ukrainian territory i don't i don't see putin getting pushed back or reversed um anytime soon if at all am i wrong on that no, I don't think so. I think he's going to take more than just the eastern portion. I think that he wants the whole country. I think he'll do what he can to to, to take that. Maybe he takes Moldova, which is to the to the south there as well. Um, that's a possibility because he's gone so far. The the real question is the Baltics. You know, according to that rant, the, the Baltics would be back part of the former Soviet Union. Um, that's why Sweden now and Finland potentially want to join NATO. It, it, it's going to get it's going to continue to escalate. 
Um, the question is whether or not the sanctions will work. I, I'm seeing also these reports about having you know Russia be you know destroyed from the inside and, and all that stuff. That just doesn't work either on the long term. That can't be a strategy. It didn't work in Iran. It hasn't worked there for 25 years. So I think we have to expect the worst. Expect them to take Ukraine and then figure out you know kind of what what goes from there. But that that map in Europe is getting redrawn. Great stuff as always, Mike Lyons. Uh, Mike, we appreciate the time very much. Great guys, thanks for having me. Yep. Boy, his answer to my long rambling question gave me chills. Uh, that is that is something on an yeah. individual level. As Mike just said there, you know, if you're a guy in your 60s and you're near the end, maybe you decide this is the way you want to go out. Right. Wow. Wow. That's some heavy stuff right there. I mean, that is primal stuff. Uh, yeah, and we, we have the luxury, and it is a wonderful luxury, as you often point out, that we just never even have to think about nope. enemy forces sweeping through our town and what that feels like and what you would do to prevent it or make it as costly as possible. You would have to make that decision. Yeah. I'm not going to do any good. They're going to take over the country. How about I, I, I you know, I, I live to be a dad to my kids in occupied Ukraine and do the best I can for them? Or... I'm a patriot to this country, and they're they're not over my dead body. Literally, do I over want my, my dead body. kids and grandkids to say uh, for all their their years that I died a hero? Those are some serious to the bone questions. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say that lots of Ukrainians are making that decision as we speak. Probably when I saw Mayor Klitschko uh, there in Kiev, giant man. If you're you know you see a heavyweight boxer surrounded by other people at a table, and you realize how much bigger those people are than the rest of us. But um, saying, you know, I'll go get my gun. I was in the military, and I'm going to fight for my country. He he looked 100% dead serious about it. Yeah. Wow. Where this goes, I just do not know. Also interesting, Mike Lyons seeing the... Because I've seen a whole bunch... Richard Engel every, on NBC News every day is in a trench somewhere in Ukraine talking to people, and it hadn't occurred to me. What's a trench going to do when modern tanks just roll through at 60 miles an hour? Well, right, and and bunker buster bombs are going off all over the place. I just, I think they dig them just in case it's an infantry attack and they can exact a cost. But, you know, going back 100-plus years, you shell uh, entrenched positions for a long time before you send the infantry over there. We have these incredibly serious arguments in the United States regularly about things that and, you know, yell at each other and get all worked up about things that a week later you don't even remember the story. Literally calling each other Nazis. Right, right. Over things that a week later you don't remember even happened. And uh, that is a uh, it doesn't feel like a blessing while it's going on, but we are lucky that we get to do that as opposed to, you know, making the sorts of decisions we were just discussing. You know, speaking of calling people Nazis, uh, there was a shooting, perhaps you heard about it, in Portland. A fella allegedly shot up a protest. Well, it's a lot more complicated than that. Involves Antifa, furries. Furries? Vengeance. I didn't see furries working their way into this story. Generally, in any sentence, there's no overlap between the word Nazi and furry. Generally. Generally speaking.
Right. Nine times out of ten. <laughs> but in this case, I believe there is an overlap. Plus, Canada has lost its freaking mind and embraced a sort of surveillance state totalitarianism that it horrifies me uh, to see in a Western democracy, one that flowed from English common law as we did. So we ought to talk about that uh, maybe uh, in a, uh, 20 minutes or so. We'll get all minutes. that stuff this hour. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Jack says this texter, what about your realization that you need to enjoy stupid things? I would have expected you to be high-fiving people in the hallways over Tuesday. Yeah, I really should embrace that sort of thing. I'm telling you, no. You can you can throw that persona on like a jacket, but you're going to want to take it off, Jack. Because, you're either built that way or you're not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Those of us who have our skin crawl while people enjoy that sort of thing, we're doomed. We're, we're doomed. We're, we're doomed to be that way. So, just have to accept it. So, uh, an alert listener. I don't recall which one, uh, who, uh, but thank you very much. Emailed and said, "Guys, uh, you know, you, oh, there it is. It's from. Uh, I'll just say first uh, initial K." Uh, said, "Guys, uh, as you know, you have a huge following in the Portland, Oregon area, and." Um, you really ought to be on this shooting. There's a lot more to it than anybody's reporting. And so I thought, okay, I'd heard something about a guy shot at a protest, and they shot back, and a couple of people are dead. He got charged, and indeed, the mainstream media account is that a man, uh, he's been charged with murder. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, he uh, confronted a group that was gathered for a demonstration against police violence. Uh, he told them to leave. They said, no, you need, you should leave. And he said, make me, and things got ugly, and he ended up shooting a bunch of people, and he's a murderer who just shot people who are uh, protesting police violence. Well, as it turns out, several of the protesters, and you've got to go digging for this information like crazy, several of the protesters are violent Antifa thugs, who have a history with this guy because he's anti-Antifa. He's also anti-junkies on the streets, mask mandates, that sort of thing. And uh, his roommate, anyway, who is a woman, says, yeah, he's been getting more and more militant about that sort of thing. Uh, He's kind of scaring me a little bit. So I don't know exactly where the fault might lie or whatever. But not only were these people at least partly violent Antifa thugs who have been tried or have charges against them or whatever, uh, one or more of them were armed for this allegedly peaceful protest, and the cops are saying they, the alleged victims, removed all sorts of evidence from the crime scene. And the cops are demanding they bring it back, but the Antifa types don't want to deal with the cops because they're cops. So... Again, I'm not I'm not the, the guy who leaps to the conclusion, my side always good, other side always bad. But I will tell you, the media is leaving a lot of uh, salient details out of the story. Okay. Craziness, no keep, doubt. Keep our eye on that. Well, yeah, yeah, and it's uh, I gave myself more of a homework assignment than I understood when I was uh, 
uh, diving into this in the first place. Also, and I almost forgot to include this part, ah, yes, the lovely Daja Renee Beck Antifa member uh, uh, has been arrested multiple times, has a trial for multiple violent felonies. That's your peaceful uh, uh, protester against police violence. And then allegedly, allegedly, the 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 guy who's been charged is a furry. Wait a second. His, a what now? A furry, Jack. Someone who enjoys putting on the persona of an animal and, <coughs> and going about in an animal suit. In this case, a a bunny suit. <laughs> I, I I'm not sure why that was included. In the account I saw? So it's a LARPer, an animal LARPer, live action role playing, who likes to dress as a bunny who was involved in an anti police protest? Well, no, he was the guy pissed off at the Antifa oh, okay. Marxist goons who were probably targeting him intentionally. And I'll bet this will come out, but he is reportedly a right-wing furry who had a bunny persona. Why is that part being reported? I don't know. That he has a what's a what's a bunny persona? Well, he jumps around in a you bunny said suit. That, obviously, you said that that like that's a common phrase people throw around. Oh, Jim, he has a bunny persona. What the hell does that mean? Well, I don't know. I don't know that it's at all, at all relevant, honestly. But you you got to admit, it's and, kind of interesting. You eat carrots and poop pellets. I mean, what's a bunny persona? Well, sure you do. Yeah, and and reproduce uh, frequently. And I don't know. Can't exactly. help but notice you got eighty kids and poop uh, little tiny little pellets. Well, it's my uh, bunny persona. Okay, you've noticed there. You can't just throw around terms like that. Like that would make sense to everybody. My skin is uh, at the dry cleaners. Otherwise, I'd be. <laughs> Dressed as a rabbit right now. <laughs> wow. Boy, you thought gas was expensive now? It's about to get really expensive. No, but stop it. The president and vice president have been warning us because they, they realize this is going to be a shock to people, I think. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. A couple of things on the way for you. Um, our life does flash before our eyes when we die, according to some new studies that they've done with the brain imaging and that sort of thing on people that are dying. So more on that later. I find that sort of thing fascinating. Also, there is a truck convoy. There's one part of it starting in California today. And then a couple of other places across the country, and they're going to converge on the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C., right before the State of the Union address on March 1st, kind of doing a Canada sort of thing, maybe? I don't know what the what their goal is or what they're exactly protesting, but I'm sure we're, we will hear more about this as we get closer. Yeah, uh, executive producer Hanson, who is busily working on some sound I thought we had, needs to mute his cue speaker because it's coming through. We've got some loose audio. Thank you very much. Uh, and, and I hope we will have that audio in time. Yeah, okay, he's working on it. Great. Because I want to talk about Canada and the mostly underreported developments in Canada, uh, specifically around the whole trucker protest thing. Um, and some of our, it's become clear from some of the emails that some of our comments have been misunderstood, although that happens all the time and I'm used to it. 
Um, well, all we have said about that protest, which became giant and clogged up Ottawa and, and made the neighborhoods uninhabitable and clogged up bridges and the rest of it, is that sort of righteous civil uh, disobedience, uh, civil protest, is, is it's great, but it comes at a cost. And so I'm not, we were not at all shocked that people got arrested, you know, for clogging up public roads for a certain amount of time. If I'm against it when Black Lives Matter does it, I got to be against it when my side does it, or at least understand that people will pay a price. Not to get off on this tangent, what pissed me off about the other stuff is that there's a, a, like a, a special privilege if you say, yeah, it's a racial protest. Oh, go ahead and break the law then. Do whatever you want. Right which is incredibly hypocritical. But uh, Matt Taibbi uh, wrote a brilliant piece for his Substack, uh, to which I subscribe, and I suggest it's worth it to you, too, if you like to think. Um, And uh, his title, which I love, is When Boring People Turn Dangerous, Canada's Insane Power Grab. And he talks about a trend in the mainstream left media for a long time where guys like Andrew Ross Sorkin of the New York Times or another gal who we'll mention in a minute dream of a day where credit card companies and banks and anybody who has access to to your private information can, in like a Minority Report, the, the famous movie, Minority Report style, see that you're up to strange things and delve deeper into it and call the authorities and say, hey, that Joe Getty, he's gone to a, a gun store three times in a month. You probably ought to take a look at him. And the fact that they... Uh, they openly fantasize about, to quote Taibbi, a minority report a panacea in which society's dangerous folk could be cyber-identified and stopped before they commit horrific acts, or acts seen as horrific. Um, and then uh, and then they use this rhetorical trick that companies that don't do that become enablers of carnage or oh, enablers man. of this, that, and the other. Wow. As if an honest person doing business with an honest business... Uh, should be tracked because a dishonest person doing business in that same legitimate way with a legitimate business might be up to something nefarious. So, and, and of course, as always, you can trust whoever the gatekeepers are in this scenario, private business, government, whoever. You can always trust that they're going to do the right thing. They're only after evildoers, and they will always be right. They will never grab people that are doing things that are just perfectly okay. Of course. And accuse and then, them of wrong. Matt Taibbi goes off on a tangent, and it's a good one. I don't mean to say it's irrelevant or anything, but it's a little long, where he uh, talks about these various uh, allegedly liberal journalists with a great deal of enthusiasm for arresting people and uh, and and uh, just totalitarian leanings. Yeah, that's what our our old news guy Marshall Phillips was always talking about because he was a you know a hippie from back in the day in the '60s, and how how the the lefties have now fallen in love with. Um, uh, you know, the, the the intelligence community, the CIA, the FBI, the security state, all that sort of stuff in the era of Trump under the assumption that it will always be our side spying on the other side. Well, you know, your day is coming, I guarantee you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so and then uh, Taibbi gets into the fact that former finance reporter Christia Freeland, who he knew for a long time, um, uh, has somehow become Canada's finance minister and announced last week that her native Canada would be making uh, Sorkin's vision a reality, that of cyber surveillance and punishing people for being the wrong sorts of people. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, at the end of the week, Minister Friedland explained that in expanding its Financial Transactions and Reports Analysis Center of Canada, 
also known as FinTrack program, her government was, quote, directing Canadian financial institutions to review the relationships with anyone involved in the illegal blockades. The Emergencies Act, which... uh, Trudeau announced would continue even though the emergency was over. Oh, there's a shock. Why, Jack? Do you remember why he said? Because it might happen again. Right, right, right. Okay. All right. The Emergencies Act contains language beyond the inventive powers of the best sci-fi writers, writes Taibbi. It defines a designated person who is a person eligible for cutoff of their own bank accounts and money as someone, quote, directly or indirectly participating in a public assembly that may reasonably be expected to lead to a breach of the peace. Directly is bad enough. Indirectly, and you're really into dangerous territory. So if I am indirectly participating in an assembly that may be expected to lead to a breach of the peace, they can cut off my access to my own money. Yeah, no, so remember I brought this up last week because I'd listened to a long podcast about how we need to tread very carefully how uh, countries and the world are going down this road of deplatforming people from banking. Because that is going to, there, there are going to be results to that. One, it's scary, it could happen to you. And two, people are going to be driven to these uh, uh, other currencies, cryptocurrency and everything like the whole bank structure is going to come, come apart. If everybody thinks, well, I've got to go underground with my banking because I'm under threat if I'm on the wrong side of who knows what issue. Uh, right. Absolutely true. And I'm glad you used the term deplatforming, too, because the big tech monsters who are absolutely more than happy to be the tools of oppression uh, are regularly deplatforming people, cutting them off from their, their revenue source, etc. because, you know, some gangster of the left decides that they're uh, evil. Um, you know, and, and you all know the list of people who have been deplatformed in that way, including some thoroughly decent, very, very thoughtful people. Um, and then uh, he goes on to describe Minister Freeland, who uh, um, it was described as the nurse ratchet of the New World Order, which is a fine movie reference. Uh, she went on to describe the invocation of Canada's Emergency Act and the dripping fake tones of someone trying to put a smile on an insurance claim rejection, with even phrases packed with bad news steered upward in the form of cheery hypotheticals. Why don't we hear that now? It's clip number 18, Michael. Um, I'm just wondering whether the bank accounts will be targeted of individuals who donated to the Give, Send, Go and the GoFundMe campaigns. Are they considered designated people under the Emergencies Act, meaning that their credit cards could be cut and financial services are targeting them as well? Okay, so the names of both individuals and entities, as well as crypto wallets, have been shared by the RCMP with financial institutions and accounts have been frozen and more accounts will be frozen. Uh, Crowdfunding platforms and payment service providers have started the registration process with FinTrack. Uh, In terms of the specifics on whose accounts are being frozen, uh, you now have the regulations The financial service providers have those regulations as well, and they, working with law enforcement, will be making the operational decisions. That's some scary stuff right there. 
Exactly. If that and, becomes common for uh, for the free world to start doing that, imagine the Tea Party movement. Um, oh, now please. when uh, when the arguments being made from the other side. Now this isn't about smaller government. This is racism. So we need to we need to go after the leaders of this movement. They need to be deplatformed. What's that phrase there at the beginning? What are you calling these people? They're uh, uh, people of interest or whatever whatever they're calling these people. Designated individuals. Designated yes. individuals. We need to yes. go after them and freeze their ability to do any banking. What? And then we cut it off before she indulges herself in a Kamala Harris-like giggle. But as Taibbi rates, uh, writes, as she confirmed this monstrous news about freezing bank accounts, Freeland burst into nervous laughter, looking like Tony Perkins of Psycho sharing a cheery memory with Mother. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Yeah, and then then he describes, and again, this is a tangent, but a good one: uh, uh, the monstrous financial crimes of the big banks, uh, laundering money for uh, terrorists and big di- business, too big to fail scum lords, right? Um, energy manipulators, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan Chase, Citigroup, what the, the, Wells Fargo did for all please, those years, right? And 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 nobody. Nobody suggested doing anything like that, and they all got away scot-free. Yeah. And he makes the point, yet here she is now. Deciding the moment to break the glass and deploy incredibly dangerous emergency powers is, of all things, uh, against a protest of the great unwashed, the common people, truckers and their supporters. That's when it's important to do this sort of thing and really, really crack down. So from what I understand, now, do you agree with this, or do you know anything about this? From what I understand, that's the hesitancy of... Um, uh, the Biden administration for going this next step after Russia, this whole swift banking move that we've never done in the past. It would be the first time anybody's done this in the world where we'd basically be deplatforming the Russian government from being able to participate in the world economy. And, and one of the arguments against doing that, as, as, as bad as I think Russia is and big a deal, is that all of a sudden you're going to tear apart the financial system. Bad countries will start feeling like, well, we, we're not going to participate in the, in your financial system anymore. We'll come up with a different way, whether it's working with China or crypto or whatever it is. Right, right. Yeah, the argument being that if you force people's, organizations, countries' hands in that way, they will find a way to react, to get around it. And that result might be way, way worse than just le- keeping the highways open, right. the financial highways open. Yeah, yeah, be another example of the world order coming apart, because for my whole lifetime, the dollar has been the currency, and everybody participates in the same banking system. Mm-hmm. But maybe that all starts coming apart if everybody feels like, well, if you're on the wrong side of an issue in Canada, or if you're a country that goes up against... You know, in Putin's mind, uh, what I think is justifiable, uh, you're going to get deplatformed. So we got to figure out a different way to do banking. Right, exactly. That's why the United States is is the financial capital of the world, and and our currency is the uh, the capital that or the, uh, the currency most people use because we have the rule of law. We have very predictable. Uh, relationships with banks and finance and the rest of it. But anyway, Taibbi, uh, one more point he makes, and, you know, if we had unlimited time or doing a four-hour podcast or something, I'd read you the whole thing, because he goes into the history, recent history, of emergency powers. The the NSA, the CIA, shruggingly said we tortured some folks, you know, all, all that stuff. And then he goes through various crises that we've faced that allegedly justified giving the government extraordinary powers for misbehavior of various sorts and how it looks in the rearview mirror and how we can never learn the lesson that you've got to restrain yourself even if there's a legitimate uh, emergency. 
Um, and one final thing. Um, f- let's see. Is this? Uh, is that, it's really good. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, deciding to seize funds is a major leap in the manic progression progression of a certain type of disordered authoritarian personality who's suddenly everywhere. They're coming out of decades long disguises as milk toast center left careerists, and they all seem to believe now that all things on earth happen or don't because of them. Mm. Disordered authoritarian personalities. In other words, they think they should be able to solve, do, or, or, or stop anything if they say it's justified. And if it's justified, therefore, any tool they use is justified. Right. And Canada is a giant flaming example of that. I would argue that uh, Australia's COVID policies, another good example of it, where we needed to take a break. Um, it's great stuff. Matt Taibbi's Substack. It's a subscription thing. Go if you want. Uh, are we going to get another booster or not? Man, is there conflicting information out on that? And I don't quite get it, among other things on the way. Armstrong and Getty. Some news here in the U.S. A woman running for Congress in Oklahoma has apologized after she mixed wine and sleep medication, yelled at a bunch of 12 and 13-year-old girls at a sleepover, and then threw up in one of their shoes. (laughs) The kids at the sleepover were torn. They didn't know whether to help her or film it for TikTok. They were like, ah, ah. This is too good. Yeah, this woman's running for U.S. Senate as a Republican, I think. Um, uh, I read this story the other day, and I don't know anything. I don't know her at all. I don't know anything about her background. But I was trying to recall. Do you do you remember a time when anybody publicly made the claim of, I, I mixed wine and a medication by accident, and this is what happened, where it didn't turn out? That they had a drinking or drug problem? Do you remember a time where that actually turned out to be a legit excuse? Because I don't. Uh, right, right. It's very, very rare. I believe, by, believe, by the way, she is a Democrat, Jack, is that is definitely the sort of thing you see Democrats doing. <laughs> oh, yeah. The other thing she did was she belittled the little girls. Oh, yeah. About their appearance yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, it's yeah. just sickening. Yeah. And she uh, threw up in the laundry hamper and in somebody's shoe. And then the next morning she said some medication she was on and a glass of wine. Well, all I know is every time I hear that excuse, it turns out later down the road they were, uh, you know, drunks. Or yeah, I had two glasses of wine and I hadn't been sleeping lately. So my friend gave me a medication I was not familiar with. And so, yeah, that's what happened. Right. Right, Tiger or whoever. Um, Neil Ferguson writing, a friend of the Armstrong and Getty Show historian, Neil Ferguson, writing in Bloomberg today about how war is coming and war is a great opportunity for speculators. Uh, You can make or lose a lot of money whenever a war comes. Position yourself correctly when a war is coming. You can make a killing if the dogs of war are unleashed. Though if the hellhounds get sent back to their kennels, as in the war doesn't happen the way you thought, it's you who gets killed and the guy who bet on peace gets the champagne. But fortunes are made and lost uh, when when war is about to come. Interesting stuff. I'm I'm not going to do anything particularly, probably. 
But, um, for instance, oil is going through the roof. Records every day. Record gas price nationwide yesterday. And it's going to go higher, according to both uh, Biden and Harris. They've mentioned this several times. They're trying to they're trying to prepare us so we don't turn against them when this happens. But it, gas is going to get a lot more. It's already really expensive, and it's going to get more expensive if Putin does what it looks like he's almost certain to do. Yeah, the whole war profiteer thing is ancient. Yep. I mean, it affected the American Revolution, the Civil War. Lincoln fought against it constantly. How much time I got, Michael? Two minutes? I really should give this more time. Our lives really do flash before us when we die, according to the latest studies. Neuroscientists inadvertently recorded a dying brain while they were using electronicosecophagraphy. Um, I don't think you can say that on the air. To detect and treat seizures in an 87-year-old man. He ended up having a cardiac arrest and dying while they had all this stuff hooked up to him, you know, thinking he was going to live. And uh, they saw rhythmic brainwave patterns that are similar to those that occur during memory retrieval, as well as dreaming and meditation. It lasted, I think it said here at some point, like 45 seconds, and they believe that is proof, not only that, but from people throughout history who've almost died talking about seeing their life flash before their life, but they saw, you know, saw it on a chart, saw it on uh, equipment that they think that we recall everything in our lives in order right before we die. Wow, if those memories are accessible at all, can I get to them somehow? Well, and can I do the director's cut? There are scenes I would like to leave on the cutting room floor. I really have no need to relive those. And then others I would like to linger on for some time. Exactly. I want the director's cut. Please. Wow, how interesting. That's made me all sad and weird and, and, and thoughtful. Yeah, that is interesting. Why are we designed that way? Is that a fluke of the way the brain works, or are we designed that way somehow on purpose? I don't We're into angels dancing on the heads of pins now. If you miss an hour of the show, you can grab the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.